My name is Max Winpenny. I'm a science educator and an environmental communicator. I feel both optimistic and worried at the same time. I feel positive about humans' ability to react to difficult circumstances, such as those environmentally that we're finding ourselves in at the moment. I am worried, though, that we aren't being given the right guidance on how to act. Here at Our New World, we're making environmental information and action more accessible to everyday people. We want to have discussions about what to do to make our world a better place. Our first series is Women in the World. We're hearing from amazing women who are doing amazing things for our planet. In this episode, we're talking with Ursula de Castro about one of the most unsustainable industries today, fashion. Ursula started her career in fashion as a designer. Her first label focused on upcycling, which is the creative process of turning unwanted materials into more valuable products. She's since become a leader in the world of sustainable fashion, or as she likes to put it, just fashion. To her, there's only fashion, but non-sustainable fashion. She's recently written a book called Loved Clothes Last, how the joy of rewearing and repairing your clothes can be a revolutionary act. As that title implies, considers how we treat the clothes that we buy and what we can do to improve our relationship with fashion. Whether we like it or not, fashion is part of our lives and this conversation looks at what we can do as everyday consumers to improve our fashion footprints. Ursula, thanks so much for being on. It's great to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. So firstly, can you tell us a little bit about your story? So how you got into the fashion industry? Oh, uh, long story. So a bit is, is going to be tricky. But in a nutshell, I started as a creative, as, as a designer. I had a brand, an upcycling brand called From Somewhere, which I launched in 1997. And I ran uh, together with my partner until 2014. Uh, we were very much uh, sort of a cult, small label, but we did a lot of things in the field of upcycling, such as reusing large quantities of luxury pre-consumer waste. We collaborated and designed with Speedo, with Topshop, with Kappa. Um, and uh, so that was the beginning. I then, uh, together with my partner, we co-founded Aesthetica at the British Fashion Council, which was the London Fashion Week area dedicated to sustainability in fashion. And in 2013, together with Carrie, I co-founded Fashion Revolution, which is now one of the, if not the biggest activism movement in the world. So this is this is my background and how I stumbled. I'm now an author. I've just published a book with um, Penguin Life. And I am also a mentor of young emerging designers. I sit on so many amazing panels, uh, judging competitions and, and, and supporting young talents. And what was the name of the book? My book is called Loved Clothes Last. Yeah. And it's, um, it's published by Penguin Life. And you can get it in all major bookstores and on bookshop.org. It's been described as a, a cross between a manifesto and a manual, which I like very much. It is about mending your clothes, but as a starting point towards repairing 
a broken system. I see. And the reason I asked a bit about your journey is because I wondered if you got into fashion beforehand and if you'd noticed that it needed to change or if you'd always been determined that you wanted to be in sustainable and responsible fashion. Also, if I'm using sustainable rather than responsible, because I know I know a lot of your wording is responsible, but I don't know if you use them interchangeably. No, I don't actually word it at all. I don't use either sustainable nor responsible. Okay. I just call it fashion and unsustainable fashion so okay. I'm firmly talking fashion when I talk about you know myself and the brands that we we support um well it's it's a kind of a combination of the two I am obsessed with clothes and love fashion and have always been a maker in one way or another more a transformer I guess and my entry into the fashion industry was not in order to change it uh, but it was certainly in order to antagonize it because I didn't really like what it represented itself as. So in creatively choosing to reuse things that were abandoned and discarded, I was already making a statement. It wasn't so much linked with the environment in 1996, 1997, but it quickly became um, very attached to when I realized um, how quickly we were wasting and discarding as an industry. So my journey was from, you know, your local charity store to the warehouses um, selling waste to dead stock and offcuts directly from the industry. And it was in those years when the fashion industry kind of decamped. I was working a lot in Italy and it decamped and moved at the time to China. So I, I very much witnessed the birth of this change. If not the birth, maybe the consolidation of it within my career, um, at the start of my career. And of course, it affected profoundly the way that I then chose to affect my career. Mm. And so when you're creating a label or when you you made uh, your, your original label, I think it was in 97 that you made your label, what was the um, yeah. sort of ethos behind it? Was it sustainability first or like you said it was just just fashion or did you have something that you always said oh completely just fashion i yeah. mean there, there was uh, at the time in 1997 you know you really didn't talk about sustainability in mm. fashion there were a few pioneers such as people tree and uh, you know of course catherine hamnet and the work that she'd done but there wasn't the movement we know now there wasn't the appetite we know now so i was just a label reusing things and i did it because it felt poetic to me and it piqued my creativity as a designer to work within the limits that upcycling creates yeah but um, as i said sustainability came definitely came later okay and was it challenging to market it I guess I keep coming at it from a sustainability perspective, but if that's completely out of the question, then what was the, the sort of the the promotion and the marketing for for reusing for reusing clothes? Because I I myself have only ever heard of reusing clothes in kind of an environmental and sustainability sense, or was it more creative? For you? Well, there were quite a few designers. At, there were a few designers at the time that were. It was called channeling. You know, we would channel reference vintage. I mean, you know, a lot of the new genres in those days. I'm talking uh, people such as Russell Sage, for instance, okay. you know, doesn't exist anymore, but you know, designers such as Krista Davies, Jessica Odgen, um, all were referencing vintage and using vintage and incorporating vintage, again, for an aesthetic um, sort of, you know, um, reason more than a sustainable ethos. So, you know, the marketing was spontaneous and quite natural. In fact, my brand took a deep dive towards the negative in the early 2000s, 2007, 2008, 
when it became part of the conversation around sustainability before before we were free of that stigma we sold really well. I mean, you know, we sold in all the top boutiques worldwide. We were on Carrie and Sex in the City, uh, you know, prime windows in, in, in Henry Bendel in New York and, and, and so on and so forth, you know, Tokyo, um, Milan, you know, that was the, the place for my brand. It wasn't a, a, a cheap brand, but it wasn't a particularly, you know, it wasn't super designer either, but it nestled alongside big designer labels in the kind of the trendy boutiques at the time. Mm. But as I said, the, the marketing was very much, you know, the we, we did use the, the fact that we, and we used the term recycled at the time, that we did use that as a means to communicate what we were doing. We never not used it. I mean, you know, in fact, the term loved clothes last, which has become a movement in itself, you know, as a hashtag, it has you know, thousands of, of, of uses constantly. Mm. Um, and then is now the title of my book, but in its origin was the way that I described the method that I used for working and for reworking my designs. Right. Um, so it's, but at the time, you know, I called my collections abandoned and reclaimed women's wear, for instance. So I used it in the communication, but it was not um, within a movement or, or or within the sustainability conversation necessarily yeah it's banned okay, okay. well so because those are obviously quite you know quite successful um, brands and and labels that get into you know get into the public eye but if we extrapolate that out into fast fashion which you know i mean I'd, I'd like to know your opinion on that but from my from my sort of outside perspective it seems like the fast fashion is you know the issue in the same way that sort of overproducing crops is the issue in the food industry. It's just a mass production of this stuff that then gets wasted. How do you then put those principles into place with the wider fashion industry that is trying, well, I mean, I say trying, is is making fashion more affordable for people who aren't necessarily into sort of mid-high to high range fashion, but are just going to, you know, your everyday um, high street shop. Well, first of all, I think at Fashion, at Fashion Revolution in particular, we really do stress that we actually do not believe that fast fashion is the only culprit. We do mm. understand it has a massive responsibility when it comes to overproduction. But um, in terms of environmental impact um, and treatment of workers, the luxury industry isn't faring necessarily better. There is also a distinction between a certain type of luxury and a more premium type of luxury, but the top range of the market is just as unsustainable. That's right. why I refuse to use the term sustainable fashion, um, and I call it you know, fashion and unsustainable fashion. So you know, we know for a fact that living wage is not paid full stop by any of the mainstream brands you'll find on your high street, mm -hmm. and that is luxury and mainstream you know and, and high end or, or, or high street um, you know the materials being used by the uh, premium to luxury sector are just, are just as polluting and just as unethically processed and there is very often less transparency and public disclosure when it comes to premium brands than there is when it comes to the high street so without wanting to um, condone but in fact actually choosing to condemn 
Um, I say that it is the entirety of the fashion industry that needs to come into scrutiny, which is why it is the entirety of the fashion industry that needs to be forced towards mandatory transparency so that we can really compare what damage is being done and who is doing what damage so that we don't keep simplifying things, um, which ultimately is, is very confusing. Inaccurate information will confuse our choices. Uh, when it comes to public disclosure, for instance, as there is no obligation to disclose, neither the high street nor the high end actually tell us, their customers, what's in our clothes which substances are being used, are they banned, are they allowed, are they toxic, are they carcinogenic. So, you know, really, uh, we need to look at the brand's obligations towards their customers um, as a, a, a sort of a, an entire system that drastically needs to change. So when it comes to providing innovation and going back to your question, which is how do you relate the principles of a small brand to the fashion industry at large? Well, first of all, I would say that right now we are probably in the middle of the most boring and unimaginative period in fashion ever. Really? Um, it's maybe 40 brands that control something like 90, over 95% of the market. Don't uh, take me on the exact numbers because statistics and numbers always fluctuate. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, that's roughly an indication. Um, we are obsessed with upscaling when we have so much brilliant talent, smaller labels that could be replicated successfully throughout. So, you know, when it comes to, to the answer to your question is that we need to change a lot of narratives and we really need to make space so that we're no longer invaded, but we're actually given the alternative and real choice. Millions of pieces that are all slightly different in color, that's not choice. Okay, I mean, I might I might follow up with a harder question then is how this is broad and I'm not expecting anyone necessarily to have the answer to this, but how do you go about taking steps then to change an industry that is massive? It's, you know, it's got a, well, again, you know better than I do. It seems like it's just this systemic way of working. What steps can you do to make brands, very powerful brands start to change their way? Because I'm, I mean, that non-disclosure that non-disclosure feature you said that astounds me a little bit that it doesn't have a health aspect to it well check out the the fashion transparency index that fashion revolution produces yearly the next one is coming out in july we don't quite know maybe towards the end but okay. you know check it out because we actually measure 250 of the world's biggest brands on how much they publicly disclose of their supply chain now we know that transparency doesn't necessarily lead you to best practice but it does lead you somewhere and you can make your decisions it leads to scrutiny exactly. and it leads to accountability. Yeah. So, you know, if that were mandatory and it's beginning to happen, you know, we're seeing legislations or talk about legislations happening in France, in Europe. Obviously, I'm a creative director, so not exactly the one to memorize what these legislations mm -hmm. are called, but, you know, a little Google and a visit to the Fashion Revolution um, uh, white paper, for instance, that we recently published, you will have all of that information, all of that policy information. I may be not, I may be not the best voice, but my organization is one of the best places where to find it. But the reality is that, uh, you know, there is a sense of urgency. And as I said, we need obligations from brands, no longer business opportunities. I mean, for years, 
brands have been, you know, and we as campaigners as well have been saying that sustainability ultimately is about efficiency, it's about respect, it will make business sense. But the brands have not invested enough in making it make business sense. So at this point, I'm fed up with business opportunity and I'm talking about a moral obligation. So brands this size, and there isn't going to be a magic formula because it's going to be very different for uh, you know, a Zara than uh, uh, a Yves Saint Laurent, but these brands have an obligation to respect their workers, and ultimately their working environment, which is part of the environment that we all share. And therefore, those changes are not things that can happen in the near future. There are things that need to be happening now. And it's their responsibility, the government's responsibility, and partly our responsibility to keep being the biggest pain in the next that we can possibly be and demand and show our disapproval in every way we can, whether it's by mending our clothes, you know, um, somehow religiously in order not to buy new, um, and going inside those brands that produce the cheapest clothes and demand the cheapest repairs available in stores for those who can't afford maybe niche repairing. So it's a societal problem, therefore society needs to intervene we are part of society, so we have a huge, you know, opportunity for us. It's an mm. opportunity to make changes in our daily in our daily habits. But for brands, it's long past the opportunity moment. Yeah. It's a must do. Yeah. Well, you said so. You, you said a word I absolutely love, which is accountability, because it's true. I think I'm a big advocate for that. Is when your consumers are a pain in the neck, constantly asking for accountability, it makes you a better. Um, producer and you talked about the fashion revolution could you repeat it one more time because I think it's a brilliant one of the great things about um, you coming on and talking about this is because people can actually listen to this and go oh I now know what to do I'll go and check out the fashion <laughs> revolution the report I can look at what you know these, these the, the trust yeah it's called so the two things to check really from a policy point of view of wanting to know more, one is the Fashion Transparency Index, which is our most downloaded um, tool of all times, pretty much it happens yearly. It's, you know, and it's really not, but not a shopping guide. It's a report. It's for people that are interested in finding out more and making their own conscious choices, but it doesn't mean, oh, that top, brand is the top brand, meaning I can shop from them. No, they're the top because they scored more than other brands, but they're still nowhere near perfection. And they may score high on certain things, but really, really low on others. Mm. So read it and check what fits with your values and your principles before you make your decisions. But that's its job. The white paper gives you a really good, um, I, the Fashion Revolution white paper gives you a really good, um, you know, reason why you know, why all of this needs to happen, everything that is happening right now, all the information you might need. But, you know, you might not be that way inclined and Fashion Revolution is also, um, you know, full of different uh, creative solutions on caring and maintenance for your clothes and just, you know, information on material, material innovation, just so that you can start to navigate um, this, this, you know, this um, new journey. It's a new journey. You know, imagine you are, going online and deciding you need to buy a new shirt. 
what's your process for buying? You will look for color, you will look for size, you will look for price, you will look for material, you will look for the brand, you will look for trendy, you will look for who else is wearing it. Um, you know, you will take into it the color, you know, whatever, does it have buttons or all of that criteria that you check when you shop, change it. Start looking if the people who made that shirt were paid a living wage. Start checking if the materials that that shirt is made out are not just declared, but actually non-toxic, that they're not going to upset you or your community in the process of caring for it. Start checking that, you know, it's made with quality and that it may offer, you know, extra buttons so that you can actually repair it yourself should it wear down. You know, that's the type of criteria we should be shopping with. Um, and it's not going to be something you develop in a day. But then it took us a while to learn how to shop online, didn't it? I mean, you know, when we went from physical shopping to shopping online, we did have to learn a whole new process for shopping. So learn a whole new process once again and search better. Yeah, I love that. But how? Okay, so how? So people, you know, just say you are shopping in person or sorry, in uh, in a shop. You presumably you'd look up the shop beforehand, you know. But you know, sometimes people are just walking down the street. A little and say, oh, bit. I like that. A little but bit. Can you look at labels? Because again, that non-disclosure thing really panics me a little bit. Because I thought, well, you can't even check on the label to see. You know, you can see where it's produced, but you can't see things like, do they pay? You can't. You much? can't rely on the labels, but yeah. you you can make them your starting point. So first of all, you can learn the care labels, mm. because obviously it is important that you don't just, you know, the, 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 advent, the, the invention of the washing machine was the biggest, in my opinion, most important invention when it comes to the life of women, pretty much. Mm. Yeah. Um, it beats cars as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, right now we tend to shove everything in the machine and just wash it. But in fact, materials need different types of care. So start from what you can do. So, you know, is it, um, you know, viscose? Is it polyester? You can find out what happens when you buy something that's made of viscose and polyester, what polyester does to the environment. It releases hundreds of thousands of microfibers into the ocean, which are then found from, you know, they then evaporate, go up into our, you know, into the, the tallest mount, you know, mountain in the world and rain back down on us, as it happened in London in September, they found them in the rain. Mm. And so, you know, what are you going to buy this polyester? Definitely not a shirt that you're going to sweat in it and have to wash it every single day. Mm. Um, viscose, viscose comes from trees. Uh, you know, once you discover that we are actually, um, you know, killing 400 year old trees to make t-shirts and pizza boxes you might want to check that you're getting it you know a certified viscose and that's a little bit of extra effort you know you go into a shop okay lovely t-shirt soft amazing viscose Ooh, viscose is this certified you can do that checking beforehand so that you have so my book contains actually all of the care labels all of the certifications so that you can you know but my book is one place, probably an expensive, you know, eight quid way to get the, to that information. But there are, you know, other um, uh, websites that will give you that information. I recommend Canopy if you're interested in, in deforestations and trees. And as I said, start with, with the Fashion Revolution website. But we need to know and have information on our clothes so that we can make the right choices in how to keep them. You know, basically throwing is what is default right now, but throwing is losing. Keeping is what should be default and keeping is a success. Mm. So we buy to keep, we don't buy to chuck. 
and because we know that everything we throw is probably unrecyclable and we also do know that everything we've ever thrown is still here mm. in the you know 1700 Antoine de Lavoisier the father of modern chemistry said in nature nothing is destroyed and nothing is created but everything is transformed so you know and in particular with modern, fab modern fabrics you know don't be fooled that a wool jumper is biodegradable I mean that wool has been treated with all sorts of horrendous chemicals so it may be degrading but what's it doing to the land in that process so you know there's so much information that needs to be somehow included in our shopping habit but we've got it instinctively with food you see you check whether it contains colorants you check the sell by date i mean if you buy it tin of biscuits you're not going to put them in the fridge but you already know that a cake which is made with the same ingredients needs to be in the fridge so all of this information regarding our clothes women have stored it genetically for millennia um we have it we just need to reuse it and brands as i said have an obligation to put us in a position to do so because we can no longer check by asking your aunt next door that used to work in the fashion industry so we rely on accountability for that information mm. what did you mean but just then by women have stored the information genetically well genetically in the sense that uh, you know i feel that um, you know you just need to ask your your grandmother mm. or your uh, you know how how do you care for it she'll know you know your grandmother would not put uh, uh you know so it's not that far away that this wisdom was lost yeah uh, in fact men have it just as well you know men that worked in the industry i don't want to discriminate it tends no. to be women i'd yeah. say 90 percent but i'm saying it's information that men can uh, uh, you know attain by asking their mother their grandmother or their friends in other countries where perhaps um, you know our consumerism and our inefficiency at core is not yet quite so um expanded yeah no of course no i didn't think it was discriminating i think it is it's a great thing for for a lot of men to know i think a lot of my friends um do that well i think a lot of my friends and myself as well could benefit from sort of learning to care for your clothes but it was just an interesting an interesting absolutely yeah. Yeah. about yeah. time yeah no exactly <laughs> but that's the thing it, it is i mean it'd, it'd be nice to get onto the sort of repair and replace sorry reuse not replace opposite of repair and reusing um it, later on when you know we sort of talk about what people can do so I, I will ask you about that, but uh, just before, it would actually be great to know if there were any brands that you would recommend, and if I may ask, where you know where do you shop or do you make your own clothes, for example? Because you like exactly like you said about the food labels, we care about what we put inside our bodies, but you don't often think that what we have on our bodies is necessarily bad for us or bad for the environment. But if we can get into that process of being able to check up on brands and check up on on sustainability and environmental and social issues within our clothing, um, within our clothing shops. If we could get into that habit in the same way that we do with food, that would be the ideal. And we're not even there with food yet, but what are the sort of brands that we can look out for that you might recommend that people can shop at? Well, I, I am reluctant actually to, to give any brand mm. names. It, it, you know, I, what I will do is that we at Fashion Revolution, we, we, one of our initiatives is called Fashion Open Studio. And on Instagram, it's at Fashion Open Studio, or you could find them fashionopenstudio.com. We support a 
massive cohort of over 70 designers, very emerging worldwide, um, that are begging for, for your support and your custom, doing from, you know, plant dyeing to regenerative farming to really extreme upcycling to uh, artisanal uh, uh, techniques. So that would be where I would go. Um, but uh, when it comes to um, the, the, the kind of the mainstream, it, it's not so easy because obviously the conscious collection isn't necessarily any more conscious than the massive amount of stuff that is done simultaneously to it. So, you know, it again, it's about knowledge, it's about information. It's also difficult because I don't know what style you've got. So I would always say secondhand is your best bet um, at any point. But, you know, there's lots of ways of finding out, you know, find out, uh, you know, sustainable magazines, sustainable platforms. Uh, the more a, a brand discloses of their supply chain, that would be my measure. Uh, the further they can go in disclosing who they produce with from their manufacturers to their second tier, which is, you know, the mills and the spinners and the ginners, you know, the more you know about their materials, the better. Mm. So that could be a really good measuring tool. Point is, we're talking slow fashion, it's going to be a slow approach to buying. You know, it's not oh that brand, I can trust them, off we go. I don't know if you trust them, we trust different brands for different things. And fashion is incredibly individual. So it really is about what works for you, which is why I'm always reluctant to be too specific. Mm. Because I kind of want people to put in the legwork. You know, I kind of want people to change their minds, I am not going to change anyone's mind. I might slightly divert your journey, but your mind will change by yourself. And the only way that that can happen is if you allow it to be filled with knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant point. Knowledge, you know, by knowledge, I don't mean deep psychology. I mean, knowledge of components of clothing and, yes. you know, provenance of clothing. I mean, you know, knowledge related to the clothes you're buying. I mean, I'm not expecting people to become lawyers or philosophers before <laughs> they actually buy clothes. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, just analyze whether it's polyester or organic cotton, that would be. <laughs> yeah, no, it is, the, it is the little things, I think. Um, you're, you're talking there about kind of fashion being individual and a slow process, but I was actually talking to someone um, so one of my friends who, and I was, I was mentioning that I was going to talk to you and they said, well, I'm not that fashionable, um, but isn't the idea of fashion that you have things that are in fashion? And I know this is, this is not saying this is gospel. She was kind of asking me the question and I'm doing the same to you, but there is this idea that, you know, things are in fashion and then they go out of fashion. And there are people who do very much care about being in fashion. And that seems to be a really hard psychological barrier that that would need to be overcome because if you are reusing clothes regularly and repairing them and recycling them you're not always keeping up with that you're making them no no you're making them brand new again so that's the whole point i mean you know first of all let's define new because frankly if i have an old pair of jeans which i did and i sent it to a company um to have them completely entirely embroidered for me they came back Trust me, they were brand new. Um, same with beautifully darned jumpers. But um, I'm just going to go back to the beginning of your question and tell you fashion is cyclical. And these things about trends, you know, at the minute we're kind of slave to the trends, but the reality is that people that are interested in trends are not necessarily any more than people that don't give a bloody damn about fashion, but have to get 
dressed every day. So fashion affects 100% of the population. So you'll just do what is right for you. For people who want to buck the trends, then you've got to rewear and repair and all of that. For people who don't really give a damn, you just buy the T-shirt that suits you the most. And that's the whole point about the fashion industry is that, you know, for those of us actually who have tiny, small brands and are very creative, coming up with new designs often, um, it could be a way to be reusing our own internal waste and not clog our own arteries. Have you ever thought about it that way? That a trend of a micro brand, a very creative, continuous trend of a micro brand has a completely different effect to the six weekly drop of H&M or, you know, uh, Saint Laurent for work for, for all that matters. So you never generalize with fashion. It's such an individual and creative industry. What you do need to know is the problem is volume and quantity over quality. The problem is unpaid individuals that are being exploited in the process of us wearing our clothes. And of course, the speed at which these clothes arrive to us. The trend thing is hiding behind people who just want to change the fashion industry. You know, there's certain things about fashion that will never change. You know, that people make it individual to suit them, that'll never change. That some things will suit you better than others, that'll never change. That some people wear black and other wear colors, that will never change. You know, and why should they? So we take what can be changed and what has to be changed, but maintain the flavor of what this beautiful industry is by enriching it. So if these designs happening every three weeks are made by an artisanal community that is earning money from making these wonderful design drops every three weeks, but I'm all for it. But it's, you know, it's questioning what these conversations are, what these narratives are. I mean, when it comes to the fast fashion, you know, for the last 20 years, what have you heard? You've heard fast fashion is so badly made that it doesn't warrant being kept. Now, is that is that or not the most dangerous narrative that a planet overclogged with consumption could possibly have over a product? So, you know, we can't abide by these stereotypes that we give we need to really, really understand what we're talking about. And when it comes to that narrative, I would say it's doubly injuring because it's basically saying to the people who make our clothes, who are often exploited and underpaid, oh, I support you, but actually your product is shit or your product is so badly made that I'm not going to keep it. How about I improve on that product? How about I keep that product? How about I make it my job to demand that that product is mended or that I mend it myself? precisely because it was cheap, precisely because it's made with cheap fabric, it is our responsibility to keep it as far away from landfill and incineration as we possibly can. That means keep it, that means repair it, mm. that means maintain it, or don't buy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's the other one, yeah. But it's okay, so say you do buy it and you want to get into it. I mean, I am inappropriately pleased with myself that I've just started sewing patches onto like a jacket of mine because it feels good. I actually really enjoy it. Oh, brilliant. That. It's so mindful. I know it's, it's such a small thing, but, you know, I've never really sewed. I've never really learned. And now I'm sort of getting back into it. And it feels great to be sort of connected to the things that I'm wearing. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it's going to take little things like that probably. Again, I don't know what you'd recommend, but it'll take little things like that. But are there 
sort of ways that you would recommend getting into that aside from just picking up a sewing kit and starting or do you think that's the best way of just just doing it I always say that the best way is to fit with your principles I mean you know if you are that way inclined if you understand the real truth that scrolling on a phone is not dissimilar in action to knitting mm. but it's infinitely more rewarding then I would say pick it up do it but some people are perfectionists and precisionists and maybe mending themselves will lead them to liking their clothing less because they might not like the end result so for those people the job is to walk down the end of the road either finding your local dry cleaner and have patched that or go online and there are some brilliant organizations the seam london sojo app um save your wardrobe Clothes Doctor. I mean, these are all organizations that you can find online that are lining up to mend your clothes. But some of us are not going to get to change that way. Some of us are political. And so maybe you're not going to mend your clothes. Maybe you will just think longevity. You will make a much bigger effort in keeping them, in donating intelligently when you do donate, which is having things mended before you donate. Never donate anything, anything broken. Um, but... For other people, it will be advocacy. It will be writing that email to the brand. It will be following the pay up campaign from Remake Our World. It will be, um, you know, discovering a new uh, level of, of knowledge and information, for instance, when it comes to understanding, say, um, you know, environmental intersectionalism, you know, with, with, with social issues or how the fashion industry designed itself to be exploitative and why it's so racist. So it's, it's, there is never, uh, you know, fashion is individual. We all interpret our clothes differently. It is our chosen skin and we will act accordingly. And it is that diversity of action that is equally important. Yeah, you're also you've given so many recommendations and links and stuff. So we'll put those all in the bio for people to click on. Um, I'll go through them and, and try and get them all and also of what to do. So this might sound like a bit of an obvious question, but to finish up, uh, this is the impossible question. Basically, what I'd like to ask is if there's one thing that you'd recommend people do that could move the dial for our planet, uh, what would it be? Well, if we have to make it into, I'd say let's do one word. OK, so when, when it comes to clothes, let's think longevity. Um, and, you know, I say it from this point of view, because obviously I've written a book on clothing longevity. And I feel that when you interact with your clothes, you answer many, many, many other questions. So if you're preoccupied with your clothing longevity, there is a reason. And that reason is that you are now emotionally interacting with the clothes that you own and that you intend to buy. And that will lead you places, that will lead you to who made them, that will lead you to uh, discovering about lack of transparency in the supply chain, that will lead you to the terrible effect that waste are having on the global nations which we have already exploited for hundreds of years and on which we're dumping all of our unwanted clothing. So it's a change of mindset starting from your wardrobe, but don't limit it to your wardrobe. You know, make it Narnia. See where you see how far you go. Well, what a woman. Amazing career, such a cool story, so passionate about it. And I think more than anything else, what she talks about is just so real stuff that we can all do and relate to. Now, a lot of what Ursula discussed involved reusing and repairing our clothes, which is such a key value that we can apply to most aspects of our lives. 
There are organizations like Closed Doctor that she mentioned who offer those sorts of services, but do your own research. You can find companies online that will repair, replace, even donate clothes. It's important to do a little bit of research, find one that works for you, and then stick with it. She also discussed the need to do some research around what we're buying and from whom. This includes looking at things like the Fashion Transparency Index 2021 that Orsula's activist movement Fashion Revolution have made. The link is in the bio. As with all solutions, the first step is the need to become aware of the issues. The more we think about how we shop, the better our habits become. And it's important to shop with Orsula's key word in mind, longevity.